Welcome to Unstructured Unlocked. A podcast where listeners discover how enterprise leaders are confidently automating document intake and accelerating their workflows to increase capacity and drive top-line revenue. I'm co-host Michelle Govea. And I'm co-host Chris Wells. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Unstructured Unlocked. I'm co-host Michelle Govea. And I'm co-host Chris Wells. And today we are joined by Terry Luciani, the Vendor Ecosystem Leader at EY. Terry, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much, guys. Uh, really excited to be here. Happy to chat with you. I'm uh, I'm coming in from our EY Nexus team where I get to work with all the different ecosystem partners. So I think this is a perfect place to chat with you about technology, startups, and just hopefully have a good time. Great. Awesome. We're, we're excited. Uh, so, Tara, we typically start off by um, having our guests share with the audience um, a little bit about their background. Uh, so if you wouldn't mind kind of checking through your resume, uh, that'd be great. Yeah. So so I spent uh, nearly 22 years uh, before I came to EY at a really large insurer in a couple of different roles, but over 10 years in enterprise innovation. And as part of that, we did a whole bunch of stuff to drive innovation across the company, whether it was more internally focused like crowdsourcing or facilitated innovation, or it was what we'd call co-innovation, working with external parties. And that meant really cultivating an ecosystem of VC partners and all of the startups, bringing them in, building structured experiments, built an accelerator, ran a lab, academic relationships. So just a lot of experience in the space, a lot of fun working with founders, and really trying to disrupt the the way things were done, leveraging their incredible capabilities. So I think that's probably where it all fits together today. And um, you know that that background really helped me uh, as I, I started looking at other opportunities and joined EY, and and I'm beginning to cultivate that ecosystem there that we leverage as part of our Nexus solution. So I, I'm interested on that, Terry in understanding where you saw the most fruit? Was it internal? Was it external partnerships? How did that break down? Where I saw the most fruit where? Like at ShopRite or like in New York Live? Well, you pick the context. You're the guest. But I was thinking in large insurers, are you more successful building internally or are the partnerships more useful? I mean, I definitely have a bias here. And my bias is that... um, partnerships is a key to success. Um, I think I think there's so much value when you have large enterprises, large insurers and startups working together. It used to feel like um, you know being part of a large insurer, I, I sort of saw the evolution. It used to feel like there was almost a can't work with startups, afraid of startups feeling. But I think things have really changed over the last few years. And you know, you see now uh, much more of a willingness and acceptance, uh, recognition that there is a an incredible value that comes from those partnerships, right? You see the growth in CVCs, you see the growth in corporate innovation teams. I think enterprises, large insurers have really come around to the recognition that there's there's a lot of value there. So, so I have a bias and I have an opinion here. I think Terry on that. I, I... What I've seen too is the trajectory of early on when when startups were coming in to try and disrupt this whole insurance industry, right? There was a distrust of what they were bringing to the table. There was also a lot of friction, I think, for being able to partner. And technology's come a long way so that if you do want to test something out, it's 
there are exceptions, obviously, but it's it's pretty quick to stand up a pilot or a POC and and validate the you know the solution that those startups are bringing, and therefore it happens much faster than you know way back where you had to go through a whole long assessment. Technology wasn't where it was today. Insurance carriers weren't ready to um, connect with different you know technologies that were outside of their of their four walls. Um, so I, I agree with you. I'm on the partnership train, but I, I think there's in addition to uh, an openness to try and partner, I think technology has come a long way to support, you know, those desired outcomes. Yeah, I, I think that's really fair. I, I'm I'm smiling a little bit because of your use of the words quick and fast. I think it has to be taken into context when we talk about, and I mean this yeah. as part of the insurance industry. As we talk about the industry, we can get better at that. Um, but I think I think that's fair. I think the tech has come a long way. I think the the structure and the processes have come a long way. So, so I definitely, I, I see where you're coming from. I think more, I was quicker to, to, to buy than build always. Um, even if, you know, your definition of quick, uh, in the insurance industry is slow by any other industry. Buy is hard. Um, build is hard. Build is, build is really hard. And I'm, I mean, it really depends on the company, you know, when you, you sort of sit there between buy, build, and partner, and try to make those decisions. I, I think it's a lot of the culture and the organizational structure. But build is hard. Um, could be the right thing to do. Could make a lot of sense, but it's hard. Yeah. So let let's feather that a little bit more. When is build the right choice? Uh -huh. That's a that's a tough one, right? I, I think they're the one example I can give that most people will go to is when there's a gap. I think a lot of people talk about, we're looking in the market, we don't see the capability there. I'm also mm -hmm. a fan when you think about build, as in you think about your secret recipe for your soda or your you know, 11 herbs and spices, right? Whatever the secret recipe stuff is, that might be the area where you want to focus on build. You don't necessarily care about, I can use the same reporting engine as everyone else. I might do the same you know, workflow engine, but... This particular area, my underwriting, is so core to who we are and what we do. It's so differentiated. Maybe we should build there. So that's that's some of the thinking. But I, I think a lot of companies have different reasons. And for those companies, they might be the really the right thing to do. Okay. So that's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is, and you, you alluded to this a bit, but what really is the value prop for a startup? working, sorry, for a large insurer, what's their mm -hmm. value prop working with a startup? And feel um, free to say it depends. That's one of our catchphrases. I'm waiting for my t-shirt still, by the way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's in the mail. Well, if we're handing out, like, <laughs> let's go with the hoodie. Come on, we're turning into the, the winter months here. That'd be nice. Um, True. So, so I've said this so many times, but I really do believe it. I think founders are incredible and just incredible people, right? Um, I'm a geek. I'm a nerd. I, I grew up loving Star Wars. And I look at founders a bit like a combination of some of my favorite Star Wars characters. And when I say my favorite Star Wars characters, you'll know I'm a little bit older, right? Because I, I look at it as a founder is a combination of the brains of Princess Leia, right? The faith of a Luke Skywalker and the guts or insanity of a Han Solo. And they're sort of combined all in one. So to me... I think of founders as this rare breed. They choose to do this thing that is insanely hard and they go at it 
every morning they pop out of, well, maybe they don't go to sleep at night. Um, so they do it all the time, 24 hours a day. They are beyond dedicated to delivering the solution. They are so hungry. And I'm I'm constantly floored by just the way they go about it. Um, this is such a generalization and I'll probably get in trouble, but what the right startup can do in three months for $50,000, I think takes some companies three years and 5 million and it never even gets done. I, I know I'm exaggerating, but there's, there's a bit of truth to it. And I, I saw it firsthand, right? Enterprises can, with the right price processes and, and the right support, just accelerate the delivery of disruption and disruption being a positive, but disruption through partnerships with startups. 50 grand might be the cost of getting the project planned together. <laughs> well, right. we talked early stage or later stage startups, like what are, but I, I think, you know, you get the right, you get the right mix of that hungry founder focused on a solution, partnering with a company that's going to be supportive and understand some of the challenges and, and, you know, things can happen really amazing things. So I'm, I believe that value proposition, going back to the first question, right? I, I think it's so strong to partner with these companies. And it's not just because I'm on a podcast with an incredible company, uh, Indico. It's not just that reason. Let's hear, I want to circle back to, to you mentioned CVCs um, or earlier. Um, and obviously, I'm in the VC space. So I'd love to get your thoughts because everything that you just talked about is part of how we think about our role, right? As we find the entrepreneur and the, and the startup solution, and we we identify, you know, the business need in the industry, we we vet the technology and and the team, and we say we think that this is going this is going to be successful, right? And then once we make an investment, it starts to say, okay, how do we help support you with your business development? How do we get you in contact with the right people? How do we teach you or support you in selling to these large insurers? So. I know kind of how we we think about it. Um, VCs and CVCs all have, um, there's a variety of strategies that they can implement, right? I'm um, not sure if you had a CVC in any of the firms you were working with prior, but how do you think about that relationship in, in identifying startups that are good partners or uh, vetting startups once, you know, there's been a business need identified? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I have worked uh, with CVCs in the past, and I, I think, you know, if I take it at a high level, it comes back with one, what's the purpose of the CVC? So right up front, mm -hmm. is it more of a financially oriented CVC where I'm just investing in companies because I'm looking for a return? Or is it a CVC that is much more strategically aligned? I'm investing in companies because... I think this is a company that can really advance the mission of the company. And I think there's a combination of them. There's a mix. So I think that's the first part of the equation. And and companies, I'm not going to name companies, but I can think of a few that do um, the strategic side, the financial side, or even a mix of both really well. Um, once that's the case, I think all the steps, all the pieces you outlined make total sense, right? You're, you're looking at the alignment of the company, right? What's the, the team like? Um, how are they leveraging technology? Uh, is it the right way? What do we think the, the future economics look like? All really important questions. And then I think you're, you're placing a bet, um, because regardless of how good you do, um, 
it's a it's a risky business trying to create something brand new. So I I think you're right on it, Michelle. I think you you sort of called it out, but it's never perfect. Uh, but I do think it's it's an indication, like I mentioned before, that there's a lot more willingness now by these carriers and these uh, really big companies to see the value proposition and feel like they want to play a role in it. You uh, you use the phrase placing a bet. I worked in derivatives and risk management for about a decade, and insurers are better at risk than anyone else in the world, right? So how do you hedge those risks of working with an early stage company? Now, I think it's it's smart portfolio management, right? Like you, you have to understand that you're not going to put all your eggs in one basket and you want to have a portfolio that's dedicated to maybe the more riskier work. Maybe that's working with earlier stage startups, but also balancing it with some of the companies that are much more well-established. Anytime you work with a partner, whether it's some of the largest partners in the world or, or somebody new, it comes with a different set of challenges. And so to your point, right, insurers being great risk managers, I think they are better, maybe, even though sometimes people might disagree, I think they're better at maybe planning out and understanding how to balance that portfolio of risk and do it right. Yeah. Diversification is always a good answer to that question. Well there done. You go. To that whole point, one of the one of the questions that that I typically ask when we're talking to a startup and getting to know them and the solution is, um, who is your key customer? Who do you sell to in the insurance carrier? And that to to me, one is framing how can we be helpful, but also it's indicative of you know who your customer is, you know what your value proposition is, and who you can best serve in the insurance carrier. And if you know, it's, oh, we have a lot of strategies or we, you know, sometimes we talk to this person or that person. Sometimes that works. But if you can tell me it's always the CEO or it's always the business unit leader, um, that that just shows that there's there's direction and, and kind of that repeatability and scalability in in the sales process. I I think you're right. And, you know, I I, I laugh at the people like, yeah, it doesn't matter. Well, it does matter. Right. Like, you know, it. I know you want to sell me a solution. I, I get that. It's not a mystery, right? There's a relationship here and there's a piece of that that's based on it. But but understand who I am and what we do, right? Like um, you guys have must have heard this because I've heard the story a thousand times about the marketing executive who goes into like Coca-Cola drinking a Pepsi, right? Like that story. And it's like, know who I am, right? Like know what we do, right? If I was at a life insurer and you're talking to me about health insurance, you're you're losing the conversation. So I think your point, right? We look at the chief HR officer as our entry point. That shows that there's thoughtfulness. There's usually they can then give it a rationale. We talk about these three capabilities. You've got to do a bit of work to get that conversation forward. So I, I think to your point, right? Asking that question, that answer they give back shows whether or not they're they're doing the work to really get into the company and actually establish a, a point of view and get people interested. So Terry, I'm curious a little bit to the extent that, that you can share or uh, are comfortable sharing, are there differences with how you think about vetting startups from your prior roles at the carriers and your role now when you're trying to build an ecosystem for multiple carriers? Um, when it comes to vetting, no. I'll say not really, because I, I think it comes down to, and I mentioned this before a little bit, it, it starts with alignment, 
right? So how well does it align to the specific need you're trying to solve for? So whether that's for one carrier or multiple, I think that works. I look at the backing um, that the company has, right? And again, it's sort of stage dependent, but I do look at the backing and I look at the company. Um, so I look to see, you know, who are the people running it? Um, have the founders been part of other uh, startups before? Um, have they had success? Right. I look at the difficulty we'll have bringing them into the ecosystem for for lots of different reasons. And then I try to look at the economics. So if you follow that, it's like A, B, C, D, E. Um, and I think that works regardless where you are. Right. Alignment, backing, company, difficulty, economics. And it's it's sort of worked for me in the past. And it's working now to unlock companies that I think have a value prop. I won't say that that model is going to guarantee success, but it at least helps me sort of differentiate the different companies. And I think it works right now, regardless of the scenario. Uh, on backing, what's the rank order of things you look at? Is it like who, how much, what else is in there? In my past life, I, I really loved working with our venture capital partners. Um, there's There's a real just incredible group of people that I think have such a a unique skill set to drive a value proposition for startups. And when I think about um, the different venture capitals, you know, leaders that are really successful, I think they they have a unique combination of a bit of math, a bit of relationship management, and a bit of magic. Um, so those venture capital leaders I think put themselves in a place where the right companies backing startups can help you to not necessarily uh, feel comfortable that the startup will be successful, but that they'll have the right guidance and support to really achieve as much as they're going to achieve. There's a there's a set of startups that, regardless of the economic conditions that are out there. 10, 20, 40 years of return. Yeah. And it's not just because they have access to capital. It's because they have the knowledge to sit on boards and really understand what are the challenges the company is going to face, how to move from two employees to 200 or 2,000 employees. They know the right questions to ask. That might be really painful, difficult questions that might cause you a lot of agita. But if you sort of swallow them and, and answer those questions, you'll be better off. Look, in a great economy, you can take money from Luciani Ventures because everyone's got money. But that capital does not mean you're going to do better as a startup. It just means you've gotten some capital. So I definitely try to look for companies, for VCs that I know that have a track record of, of building strong portfolios because I, I think it makes a tremendous difference in the success of the company. Um, I keep doing this. I'm like, the are Roman you feathering god. again? No, no, I'm not feathering. I'm like the Roman god Janus. There's always two faces. So you <laughs> talked about what Man, we have for. covered some top Janus, <laughs> Shyamalan. Like we're um, we're definitely whole spectrum here. This is a real liberal liberal arts tour de force going on on this podcast. Um, the other side of the coin, where does this fail? Like, what do, what do you see as being the major hurdles and places where people stub their toes? 
So when you say people, are you, are you saying more of the startups? I, I'm actually interested in both. Like, where do the partnerships fail? Where do the startups screw it up? You know, where does the where does the client screw it up? Um, okay, so from a startup perspective, um, and again, I think some of it depends on the stage of the company, right? Um, early stage companies, if they win a big deal, I think they can lose sight of themselves and quickly become swallowed in by trying to serve that big customer. And they're not working on their roadmap. They're not working on their strategy. They've literally devoted their entire team, all of their resources, whether it's five or 10 people, because they want to they want to do well on this first project. Um, I, I think that's a problem. I think, you know, for, you know, startups that are maybe more established, they still fail at understanding how difficult it is to work with a large carrier, right? They might not understand the complexity of the processes and the paperwork and just the gauntlet of legal, technical, um, architecture, compliance that they have to go through. Yeah. Um, so I think that's another challenge. I think and, and later, go ahead, Michelle. I was going to say, and further to that, it's not a rinse and repeat once you've done that successfully with one carrier, right? It's it changes with every potential partnership that you have because of everything we, we know about the industry, right? Legacy systems, core systems implementations, uh, anything else that you add in other vendor partnerships that they've got. Um, so I think that's the challenge too, is once someone, once some startups have success with like one big insurer, they're like, oh, we're going to have all the big insurers. And it's like, no, you're going to have the same length of a sales cycle, the same challenges, if not more, uh, with some of these, you know, the second, third or fourth that you're going after. Uh, yeah, you are so on it. I think you're so right. Um, there is, you have to have the right perspective and patience with this. I think it's helpful, right? If you've been through, you know, that really large bank or really large credit card company, really large insurers processes, you sort of understand some of the expectations, but it's never the same, right? And right. I still, you know, even larger startup companies, scale-ups, right? They're somewhat times astounded by the process and the paperwork and and just the weird terms, the weird requirements, indemnity, liability, intellectual property. No, the enterprise is not going to want to use your paper. I, I don't care that that's your paper. <laughs> They're going to want to use theirs. So that whole legal, you know, rigmarole that happens, there's no fast pass. Um, some of the larger startups, right? They price themselves out of a great opportunity. So they meet someone at the company, they kick it off. You know, Chris, you were talking about the relationship before it goes really well. All of a sudden they come up with a really good idea. They pitch that good idea and do a good demo. That good demo leads to the carrier coming back and saying, we have a good opportunity and then that startup's like, all right, it'll be two hundred fifty thousand to test. But what we'll do is we'll take twenty five thousand of the two fifty and we'll move it towards the license cost of two million. And the carrier's like, okay, thanks. And the startup shocked why they never heard back. So, so you know, again, price what's reasonable for you, but don't price yourself out of that opportunity. You've done all the work, right? You've been patient. You gotten the great opportunity. And then you're like, oh, now we can soak them. I, I think you got to be really careful with that. And I saw a number of companies that I really liked, even going back to them, either 
thought they could win a huge amount of money or just couldn't develop a pricing model that could work. So that's that's another issue that encountered a number of times. Yeah, and that that goes back to the relationship, right? Like understand what it's worth to them, do the discovery to figure out how much pain it's causing or the upside opportunity or whatever it is, but there are no shortcuts to that. Uh, bingo. I agree to I mean, if you have the right relationship, you can have those conversations up front that I think will eliminate that. And you know, flipping it a little bit on the carrier side, understand the companies you're working with. Like if you're choosing, and again, it depends on the culture of the organization, but if you're choosing to work with a really early stage company, they might not even have a product and that's okay, but just be ready for that, right? Be ready that you're going to run more of an accelerator with them. And you're going to have to almost set the right guardrails to be like, I want this company to grow. I don't want to stifle them, but I need them to work on my thing. That's hard to do, right? Um, you know, and with a later stage company, understand the challenges that they're trying to serve multiple clients. They do have a roadmap and, and you have to fit into that. You can't just bully them to do your thing. So I think there's, there's balance on both sides and it's really trying to go back, Chris, to the relationship, understand the relationship, understand the needs and try to best to deliver for those needs. Great. Um, No, no, no. Go, Michelle. No, I was just going to say, um, I, I totally, totally agree with you. And I think um, especially that those early stage startups um, or, or not even uh, any any startup, when when there's a customer that says we want this and it's outside of their core solution, there's always a desire to do what the customer wants. But there's also that that pull of, but my company is not set up for this or it'll throw us down, you know, burning a ton of money to get that done. And it's a one-off for you. And so it, but I think to your point, the carriers have to understand that they're not the only customer, right? And so this business is built to to try and service the the industry at large in in most cases. Um, But I was going to shift a little bit to, um, you know, I I know the the trends that that we're seeing uh, in my day-to-day and generative AI is the big one, right? Um, And a lot of it is where can it be applied? But I'm curious what, what you've been hearing from uh, your partners on on where are companies seeking startup solutions today? Is it, um, and it could be multiple, right? I, I have my own opinion, but I'm, I'm curious about yours. Is it is it data? Is it underwriting workloads? Is it claims management? Like where are you seeing the most desire for, for partnerships? I don't know if it's the most, but yes to all of those, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I see... I think there's challenges right now because obviously the economy is changing a bit. I think, you know, even in, in the good times, right. And and maybe this is a generalization, but when you look at the larger insurers, maybe it's a 90, 10 split of sort of maintain versus new stuff, right. They, mm-hmm. They're more focused on, you know, fixing the current problems, driving efficiencies. And I think that still remains today. So a lot of the conversations are around capabilities to do that. Um, really, what are the the ways that you can drive those efficiencies, drive those those solutions on the work that they need to do today for their customers? It's not that they're not interested in the the future stuff, but I think keeping it more grounded uh, is some of the the stuff that seems to be coming out of the conversations I'm having. Um, you know, document ingestion and the ability to to identify insights from that, and that in a lot of ways, ties into Gen AI, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the ability to, to pull together different services, aggregating, cleansing, and, and then delivering the right data 
right? That ties right into the data space. So it's not necessarily the, you know, this is the hottest areas, but it's it's that that infrastructure to really make things better. Obviously, legacy modernization is a huge opportunity and it's a huge issue. Um, and if I could solve that today, I'd be a billionaire. But, you know, I, I think it it's an area that if you get startups that are really interested in solving the problem, I, I think they'll they'll do quite well because there are systems running in a number of companies that are as old as me. And and I look really old. I'm I'm not that old, but the systems are old. And you know, people don't want to do COBOL and VSAM. I get it, but being able to sort of unlock those legacy systems into a modern digital architecture that allows for the insurance carriers to have relationships and engage with the customers directly. There's a, there's a lot to that. So those are just the areas. Yeah. I I've made a number of COBOL jokes since we've been talking to insurance folks in the last working 40 years is a pretty good statement about the, so I'm a recovering physicist, like Fortran is, you know, the language du jour uh, there. But like that one's interesting to me because. By the way, I'm a recovering physicist. There's another good line from the podcast today. So doing my best. Um, <laughs> the pathway on that one seems pretty clear. Like you have you have the old school hardware, you have the new school hardware, you have the old school program, you write the new school program. And by the way. GPT-4 can just convert your code for you into whatever language you want. Well, well, okay. All right. I'm, 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 you know, smoothing out some edges here. The pathway on that one, while long and difficult, is pretty clear. So where do startups help with that? that I, I don't get that. So you've seen the movie Independence Day with Jeff Goldblum? Classic. Yeah. So you can just take your old MacBook and just plug it into an alien system and immediately it'll download and work. It's it's yeah. really just plug. It's a cable. Yeah. Um, well, you know, companies have budgets. Uh, those yeah. budgets to maintain these infrastructures are are pretty tight. The infrastructures are systems and processes that have been built over 40 plus years. Um, code is not documented. Um in a lot of ways, the the data sets are are not. Um, how should I put this? They're they're not as clean and as easy to work with as they could be. Said data uh, sets. I assumed that. You know, so yeah. so you you have you have a lot of challenges just managing it day to day. Let alone you know queuing up a project that you want to you you know you want to try and and move it. Yeah. Where I think the startups, right, the the ability to, you know, sort of wrap around that legacy, interpreting the information that's there, being able to replatform, um, those are all really big opportunities. It's just finding, you know, founders that are passionate about it and and want to do it. And I think there are companies out there that are tackling the problem. Yeah. There's not one wholesale solution. Again, it's a lot of different infrastructures, but I'm I, I I believe that is a huge way to unlock resources, to unlock opportunities for large carriers. And I think the company that solves it, or the companies that solve it, I think they are they're going to do quite well for themselves, and they're going to create a tremendous amount of value for those insurance carriers, and and that's going to follow down to a lot of value for customers. I mean, just just an example, and it's a silly one. 
I just got my life insurance premium and I have the ability to pay by check or I can fax in my ACH form. Mm-hmm. The reason why that is, is because <laughs> it's really complicated to move to a digital payment solution as part of that. So I, I'll give I'll give some patience and and understanding to the particular carrier, but that's not easy. Um, you know, that's a really challenging problem. It sounds so silly today that someone would even offer facts where we live in a world of, you know, I need a book, I can go online and order it and it's delivered in 30 minutes. It's just, we're working with really old architectures that work. They do what they're supposed to do, but mm -hmm. there this, needs to be companies to help bridge the gap to get them to the future. Yeah. And sorry, one more question on that. Do you see that as primarily a tech play, primarily a consulting play, or is it some hybrid of the two? Well, I I believe that there are fabulous opportunities to reach out to me and we can help you solve those problems. Yeah. Um, so there's a plug. No, I, I think it's a mix. I think it's a mix of architecture, technology, um, business, right? Um, I have $100 that I can spend on my business I want to take that $100 and use it to create opportunities with my customers and generate revenue. Oh, wait, you want $50 of my $100 to, to go here? So, so I think it's you know business demand. I, I think it all comes in. It's, it's a whole bunch of challenges. It's good challenges that we can solve for, um, but it's not easy. And um, I, I think it's a mix. And I, I know there's companies out there trying to solve the problem. I know there's a lot of interest. There's really smart people. I'm not one of them, but there's really smart people out there that that can can figure all this out. I, you've talked about how old you are and how dumb you are. You must have some settings on Zoom that hide all of that because <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh okay, yeah. So uh, I, we can bring my wife in if you guys want me <laughs> want some validation of this. So um, no, all kidding. We covered every other topic today. But <laughs> yeah, I, I know. Honestly, it's. It's fun to talk about the opportunities that are out there. There are there are so many amazing companies that are doing really just incredible things that you you might have almost thought would be impossible in the past whether leveraging like dynamic data sets to really rethink the way we underwrite. Like that is that is phenomenal to me. You know, I can ask you if you smoke, if you have any pre-existing medical conditions, and I then decide to write you a 30-year term policy. But now, like, you know, done right, your cell phone, where you go, your digital health records, your your shadow of all your social events, right? Again, with the consent of the user, obviously, but there's so many interesting, compelling ways we can leverage technology to create incredible experiences for people so that if I go to the gym and I, I eat better, maybe my, you know, insurance cost goes down. That That's exciting stuff. And there are companies in every space that are doing it so that the claims process, dare I say, it goes from inconvenient to almost a positive experience. Companies are making it really easy in that space. There's transformate, uh, transformative technology out there that I, I believe carriers are starting to adopt that really sort of makes you feel like you're a bit in the future. There's still a long way to go. We talked about the ACH and the facts, but I think there's some really exciting stuff as well. And it's fun to be even a small part of it. Well, I think too, 
you know, maybe early days of, of insure tech, it was, we have to solve the biggest problems, the most complex problems in order to, to make a difference. And I think what we're seeing is a lot of entrepreneurs picking a lane and picking a very specific thing that they want to get good at. And it, it may not be the, the biggest impact to the whole organization, but it may be a huge impact to a single line of business, right? Or the claims process to a single line of business or a, a, a specific type of distribution strategy. And I think those incremental wins, one, do great for the carriers to, to gain confidence in working with the stars, but it also puts a huge world of opportunity out there for, for entrepreneurs to, 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 you know, make meaningful change and help the carriers get to, you know, that technology debt, legacy debt to, to a place in your future vision, Terry. Yeah, I, I think they're, I think it's the, I think you're right. Where I, where I look at it as they're taking the right approach of, I think they have the the vision, right? We're, we're all familiar with that really big digital retailer that started as a bookseller, right? Um, we all know them. And so you think about their name, their name never made sense to me originally. Like they sell books. It's really weird. Why are they named after a river? But when you think about it, right, it's the widest river in the world. And so from the very beginning, they had a vision of where they wanted to go, a really compelling vision that they had, but they started at a very smart step. Let's get people to understand how to shop online. Let's sell them a product that is very easy to sell online. It's not fragile. It's not going to, you know, you can't, it doesn't go stale. And they built on that, right? They built a series of steps. And I think, I think startups, good startups are following that, right? Where they're, they're saying like, look, I'm not going to solve claims tomorrow, maybe, but I can solve this piece of it. And what I know is down the road, I have a vision for how I'll do all of claims and maybe all of insurance. And I think that perspective, that sort of philosophy serves companies really well. Let's get really good at something. Let's sort of become the, follow the Clayton Christensen model. And then we can build on that. And I think that's, that's a, you're right. And I think it's a, it's a key to, to longevity and, and future success for a lot of these companies. Well, Terry, I, unfortunately, I think we got to call it here, but this, this feels no, like no, we're done. Seminars. this is good stuff. I want to do a podcast just with your thoughts on movies, I think. Yeah. As a step. Yeah. Next week, let's do it. Let's right, do it. We start though with the Sandlot because the Sandlot might be one of the greatest movies of all times. Oh yeah. man, yeah, yeah. This, okay, this might actually. My life, my life, literally outside of work is baseball, and okay. so there's a ton of but Sandlot, Sand. There's a ton of baseball movies. Sandlot just sort of sets itself apart. So over even over Moneyball, it did very different. I mean, Sandlot has that that link to who who we are. I, yeah. I just. I don't know. I mean, Moneyball's great, but yeah. you know, you're a relationships guy. We covered that. Here we go. Yeah. Here we go. <laughs> well, this has been a very special episode of Unstructured Unlocked. Our guest today has been Terry Luciani, a Nexus vendor ecosystem leader at Ernst and Young. I've been your host, Chris Wells, and I've been your co-host, Michelle Govea. Thanks for joining us, Terry. Had a blast. Thanks a lot. Me too. Thanks Thank you, guys. Us. Take care. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Unstructured Unlocked. You can find all of our episodes wherever you listen to podcasts today. Spotify, Apple, everywhere. 
Be sure to follow at Indico Data on Twitter and YouTube. Have a good day, Automator.